0: Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space,
1: wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi there, I'm Toshi and welcome back to Sex and Space. We're here continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. I hope everyone out there is doing great. We're thrilled to have you join us today, whether you're here for the first time or you've come with us on interdimensional adventures many times before. Please don't forget to show your support by liking, rating, sharing and subscribing. Your feedback means the world to us. Check out our TikTok and Instagram for more great Sex and Space content. Just search for us using our handle at sexandspace.com. That sex in space, D-O-T-C-O-M. We always love hearing from our listeners and engaging with our community, so please feel free to reach out in any way you like. Now let's get into a fantastic interview. For this episode, the first installment in our podcast series in collaboration with Intersex Aotearoa, Jane was privileged to speak with Jelly O'Shea. Jelly is a queer Pākehā intersex individual and a dedicated advocate and activist. This conversation is an introduction to what it means to be intersex, Touching on history, some of Jelly's own experiences, and highlighting what can be done to contribute to an inclusive society that both embraces and uplifts those who have been historically overlooked or marginalized. Let's jump in.
0: Thank you so much for joining today. It's really cool to be here with you. We've both been trying to set this up for a while, so it's good. And um, I guess for those listening, the word intersex is just new and um, for some people and they don't even understand what it means. Thank you, education system. So um, maybe we can start there with just a an unpacking of what it means, the, the term itself.
2: That's a great place to start. Um, and I think just to honour that there's a reason we don't know. And it is, like you said, it's not within our education system. Mm. And um, it's sort of for the past 100 years in Western medicine been um, intentionally concealed. So um, intersex essentially is an umbrella term that describes a vast, beautiful, natural range of the ways that the human body can develop. Um, And those are innate, so those processes are often formed in utero. Um, They can be genetic. They also can just be Part of the miraculous process of cells coming together and dividing, and chromosomes, um, yeah, manifesting through the process of development. Um, and so, what that what that sort of comes out as is, is that a bunch of people we think anywhere from one point seven to two point three percent, and that's conservative, are born with what we call a variation of sex characteristics. So, we all have sex characteristics. Mm. Um, those can be primary. So primary ones talk about your sort of reproductive systems, your homo- hormones, your chromosomes, those those vital kind of innate things that helps your body process um, your hormones and defines whether you develop breasts or you, um, you know, create sperm, all those sorts of things. And then um, secondary sex characteristics are informed by your primary ones. And so they can be like where hair grows on your body, muscle development, bone density, all that sort of things. So when we talk about someone having an innate variation in their sex characteristics, that's basically saying that people have been born or have developed through puberty um, a difference or diversity to what's normally understood. And people often say in the simple answer of what is intersex that the, the spell sort of goes something like, um, you know, people will be born with differences not commonly seen in male and female bodies or understood as male and female. And I think um, actually what it does is intersex bodies or variations in sex characteris- characteristics gives us a bit of an opportunity to think about um the parts of our bodies as being part of sort of a broader way of being. They don't always need to have a sort of a standard or a normal because we're all affected by these concepts of normal that aren't true. We're all affected by, um, you know, Western concepts of beauty and trying to live up to those and, oh, why do I have this funny bit of fat on my back or why do, why do I have one breast bigger than the other and you know obviously that's really different to sex characteristics in some senses but I think we can relate to that so if you're someone with an innate variation of sex characteristics at birth it might be visible and it really or it might not so people often think if they do know a little bit about intersex that they imagine this baby that's got atypical genitalia I'm doing air quotations now for the listening audience Um, and or you know there's some people say ambiguous genitalia yeah Um, and so that might mean that it's not the it's not the archetype of the hermaphrodite we don't um, it's sort of it's a falsehood it's a myth there are hermaphroditic insects um, but humans it's not actually possible for us to have both sets of genitals so you can have fusing of um like labias that enter what may look like a small penis you can have urethras in different positions so instead of at the tip of the penis it could be at the base of the shaft um and actually a myriad of of diversities but it's just one category of intersex of which there are um about 47 at least, different variations. Um, And another time of kind of manifestation in the body is through puberty. So someone may or may not go through puberty in a way that would be deemed typical. So a young woman might not develop breasts and might not have their period. And so um, that would be a a point where family members after some time might, you know, go, hey, what's going on? We'll go to the doctor and find out. And there's a bunch of different reasons why. Um, And one of those is that they may have internal gonads instead of ovaries. And when you think about the gestation process and what happens inside a forming um, fetus is that the same sort of tissue mass actually in the development stages in utero um, goes through a chain reaction depending on what chromosomes um split and and change and you know whether your ovaries drop down to become um testicles and that's so fascinating when we really think about just those like biological realities that all of us had the same soupy awesome mix to start with and it was just a, a series of you know of chain reactions that resulted in the way that we came together so yeah yeah. Um and and then, then there's a final stage where um where lots of people um are also um come into a you know, a diagnostic period where they might be told as adults that they actually have an intersex variation and that's when they're trying to conceive. So it might it might appear that, you know, for for whatever reason, um, there could be an innate variation that means that they don't um, you know, produce their body's not being run by testosterone, they actually have really high estrogen, and so they're not able to produce sperm. um, Or, you know, like I said, if you were born with um, gonads instead of ovaries, you're obviously going to have serious challenges when it comes to carrying a child. So there's sort of, we think of these three centres of a lifespan where people come into contact with medical diagnostic moments.
0: Yeah, and as you say, some might never, you know. Um, exactly. Never go their whole lives not knowing. So the numbers that we have are, you know, rough but understated. In exactly. In terms of how many people are in this community. And for the listeners, um, one of the stats I like that gives us some context for the average person trying to get their head around it is as many people
2: in the world as redheads. Exactly. And then you yeah.
0: go, oh,
2: okay. Yeah, and we can even bring it locally. For me, it's the the same population as people living in lower heart um <laughs> wanganui wellington so um you know and really conservative numbers we're talking about there's eighty thousand people in aotearoa new zealand right now who have you know a variation of some type at least um and so we're trying to reframe that and say wow exciting beautiful congratulations i think is the the attempt um, I like
0: right that framing. Um, yeah. I think that often, you know, I mean, so within the communities of the world, many communities have—they um, don't have a just an either male or female model. They actually have a much more informed understanding of the diversity and beauty and wonderfulness of bodies, and often that's celebrated as, "Oh, this is special! How cool!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's part of- The richness of being human but this is a a, you know a really important part of who we are as a community and we celebrate that Um, which is wonderful and I I think the important point that you made before I kind of want to go back to with you is this is a recent evolution and it starts with the science community who a couple of gentleman actually responsible for this kind of came up with the idea of normal and that had a cascade
2: effect. Exactly yeah and I know you're talking with Regina Sterling at some point and then I'm sure they'll go into a more in-depth history but I think as a, a sort of introduction it's easier to just talk about the sort of the modern medical marvel which was you know the the sort of turn of the century we've got um, we've got surgical techniques advancing with mm-hmm. at the first world War and the Second World War so there was a, a rampant amount of skills that were developed just through the intensity of sort of wound care and um, surgical kind of plastic surgery
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
2: and that collided with some of the conservatism that we saw post-World War II in the 50s, um, which was really about, like, let's get back to normal. We've all been through this really traumatic time. Let's let's get back to um, these sort of ideas of before, which was actually, um, you know, if you think of, like, a Victorian era, um, things were probably um, not normal either, but a little bit more in terms of, like, a, um, a very patriarchal state and through the wars we know that lots of women actually stepped up massively in their communities and um had a lot of independence and had to run a lot of um the industries and you know take care of the farm in the case they did it all and we had a lot of men coming back from war traumatized but also trying to reestablish themselves and all these new sort of um awkward spaces that had been filled up um by their partners and their wives, so I think some of we can explain some of the nineteen fifties, the the sort of nuclear um, family dynamics, the woman in the kitchen, the happy kids, um, the brand new vacuum cleaner. I don't I don't know the sort of like domestic sensibilities, um,
0: instant pudding,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> being like. Um, Oh, oh, I guess in some ways it could be a trauma response, you know. But um, the sort of squeaky clean image of of being, I think, really was infiltrated into um, concepts in, in psychology, which um, uh, Dr. John Money uh, led um, in the Johns Hopkins University in the states. Um, and so he was actually from, I was talking about Lower Heart, he was from Lower Heart and, oh. um, he, oops, <laughs> yep, um, he's one of our claims to fame but, um, I think it's a sad one, um, he came up with what you're saying, some of these, um, concepts of normal and that was through experimentation on young intersex people, um, and actually, uh, there's a famous story about a set of twins um, who weren't intersex, but one of who um, had a what they call like a botched circumcision. Circumcision, and um, Dr. John Money was called in, the psychologist, to be able to tell the parents how that how they were going to basically bring up this young boy who had had this, you know, real surgical um, horror happened. And so he said, aha, well, this is where I can really prove my thesis and say, actually, it's nurture, not nature. So we can raise him as a girl and um, everything will be fine. And this can also help reinforce my theories, my scientific theories around the approach we should be taking to anyone that presents with atypical Body diversity, and so those twins were raised, um, you know, in a a highly sort of um, medicalized uh, way in terms of, you know, they they had repeated, um, you know, tests and psychological tests. They were very like uh, they were very watched and documented, um, and. Dr. John Money got to write this amazing thesis and say, "What a success! I did it. It's it's great." And that that um, academic, um, yeah, outcomes ended up reinforcing the medical model we still have today. Um, but actually, <laughs> a good sort of ten years later, um, another academic. Um, What's his name? Milton Diamond, I think, Dr. Diamond. He always had suspicions about these theories and was also a, a sexologist and um, actually found that a lot of Dr. John's money's um, theories were quite sort of like heteronormative and homophobic and was this sort of reinforcing this concept of like, if we, we have a queer body, it can turn into a queer mind. So it's actually a a way to protect your children from becoming, like, divergent or deviant or, you know, becoming homosexual if we make sure that their body um, is ordered. Mm -hmm. So um, Dr Diamond went in and actually followed up with the twins and the family and found that um, the young boy who had been raised as a girl um, had rejected um that framing and had ended up um yeah re, re sort of establishing himself as david um and unfortunately has a really sad end and he ends up taking his life um yeah. and so this was exposed that dr john money actually his his experiment and his theories were not based on on true academic Sound research, and that he had fabricated some of the results to back up his thesis, but unfortunately, that didn't have a major impact because by then um, the the protocol that he had helped um, with others to develop that influence the medical model was well established mm. um, and um, that is one of that early intervention is best. Um, and that um, minimal conversation um, is best. So don't talk to your young ones about it. They won't, the, the younger they are, the better soft tissue heals and they won't remember. So this idea that we can change people's bodies in, in infancy through multiple surgeries that are very complex and often require continuing surgeries through life um, that this concept that we could do all of that and that not to have an effect on people I think um, is massively debunked but unfortunately is still ongoing in our hospitals today um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand and throughout the world. It seems
0: extraordinary that such barbaric practices are, are anywhere in history that we can recall. And yeah, you know, when you look around at the way the world behaves um, we're not so very
2: evolved, we humans <laughs> Yes, and I think lots of that we can, like you rightly said, when we look at communities around the world, indigenous communities, there's histories of, um, of special places in society for people with diverse sex characteristics or diverse gender identities um, and what we can map is actually a colonial concept of normal, you know that goes way back before the 1950s. It actually goes into like the doctrine of discovery and this idea of the the western white um, body being the the body that um, everyone should aspire to and and um, there's the stepping stones in that colonial approach to enslavement and you know, the sort of the colonial um, approach of everything from land dis- disposition and, and cultural um, destruction—you know—lots of that massively is also intertwined with um, like concepts of grandeur about mm-hmm. you know the, the the European ways of being um, and enforcing those on Indigenous people and also <laughs> on its own <laughs> constituents so you know we we all um feel the effects of that and the way that you know healthcare works and the way that um you know uh, systems prioritize some bodies over others mm. um and that there's you know rampant privileges that we see in the health outcomes in this country still that are very well documented and mapped that you know Māori and Pacific Islanders um, are not treated the same way within our health institutions. And we also know that um, there's not, um, you know, what they call health literacy. There's not, people don't know how to talk about this. We don't have the language to talk about sex characteristics, being diverse. We don't have the words. And so if, young parents or you know parents are being presented with this as a medical um, emergency which is the culture um, you've got a healthy baby but there is um, like a genetic uh, variance that um, is concerning you know we can we can fix it we can if we operate now you know we can we can help your baby boy to be healthy and 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 well, and so what parent would say no to that um, you know and so we talk about a lot you know a lack of informed consent um, you know sometimes parents are vilified for the decisions that they make um, and that's obviously affects whānau um, and family relations, but I look at a culture of um the, the lack of education actually being a process of harm in itself because we can't make informed decisions about something that we've never heard about. It would like it would be like saying, You're, "You've got a healthy baby. Your baby's actually a unicorn, um, but don't worry, we can fix it." And then we'll take you'll, the horn off. Yeah, we'll take the horn off. Um, no,
0: more you know, it,
2: it, we don't have words to say. Sorry, can you slow down? Actually. I don't really understand what you're talking about and I'd like to get a second opinion. You know, we're not given, um, we, don't, we don't necessarily practice that unless you're, you're shown how to do that. There's actually, you know, um, a lot of hierarchy and intimidation that happens within medical settings where we aren't given agency to understand our bodies enough to really say, oh, I might go home and think about that. You know, most people are presented with the sort of fear, risk, Um, framing around, here's a bad situation, but we can make it good, you know, what Um, a relief.
0: We defer often to the authority or that power that those people have, doctors, surgeons, you know, they give some
2: information and you take that information as truth. Yes. And I mean, those same um, practitioners are doing the best they can. You know, I don't think that they sit at home and think, oh, you know, I can't wait to, um, I do all these surgical interventions on young people today, they genuinely, with the tools that they've been given and with the bias and the sort of heteronormativity, the sort of concept of what wellness is, what a functioning um, person in society is, um, there's lots of pressure to... Um, for surgeons to be the ones that are fixing the problem, the perceived problem, rather than actually being a social issue about how we look at people and look at normal and look at sort of concepts around, you know, fertility and um, being able to have heteronormative sex. Those things are actually what's ruling the surgical interventions. Um, And that's why, you know, it's often really shameful for adults who get coerced into surgical interventions because they think, well, the language we use about, you know, young people who literally don't have voice can't say, uh, you know, six months old or three, three years old or whatever it is, I don't want this to happen. Um, there's a lot of shame for adults who are coerced into surgery once yeah. diagnosis is made because they think, well, I can speak and I didn't say no. And that's where you've really got to bring in the fact that if we've never heard about something before and it gets presented to you in a, in a situation where you already are not confident, you don't know, the, you don't understand the words that someone's saying to you, and there's that, what, what you were saying, Jane, about, you know, a sense of authority and us bending to it, um, that is a recipe for passiveness and compliance um, and also trust like of course I want the best for me I want to be well and healthy Um, and so I think that's sort of the challenge is actually for us to unpack some of those biases and some of those ideas of normal from the very from the very core of our institutions and our thinking and until that happens um, we'll continue to have these really discordant conversations between Um, people within the healthcare sector and people like me who have survived multiple surgeries without my informed consent and now can understand so much through my own um, access to information as an adult and finding community members. um, You know, I sort of can understand and see it all. I can see the, the matrix, the lattice of of the the sort of medical industrial complex you know all sorts of ways that it's talked about but um you know that's a long hard journey because again there's not language it's not talked about in sex, sex education it's not talked about even at university levels unless you do like genetic biology at a high level and and it's not talked about in medical training. No, um, I think there's like sometimes like there's a short two-hour class, but also if you go to that one, you'll miss out on the one on diabetes. So, you know, right. <laughs> and, and what you might be learning is that there's a bunch of congenital disorders and here's the treatment pathway and it is recommended surgeries. And these yeah. are the surgeries that are recommended.
0: And that's the problem, isn't it? it because it's um, been firmly framed as um, a, a problem that needs treatment, yes. rather than part of the normal diversity of humanness. If I use the word "normal" in a different way.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we can reclaim oh, that I, word, absolutely.
0: Do, but, yeah. Uh, gosh, that's there's a lot riding on that one. But yes, that, and that's, that's relative,
2: yeah.
0: isn't yeah. it? Yes. And it, it seems like um, the most important takeaway for anybody listening is it, it, to understand that being intersex is just part of the normalness of being human and it's not a problem to be solved. Exactly. And education is absolutely
2: critical at all levels. Yes. To, to move education forward. Education is harm reduction in this context and to, like peeling off. You know, there's sort of big words that we end up using as activists, and I, I rally against trying to use them. But sometimes they're just helpful. But like sort of peeling off that pathologization and by that I mean yeah. those ideas that have been layered over eons of, um, of the the concept of a, of a healthy beautiful desirable body or the concept of a functional body you know we're we're not talking about your organs working properly actually I wish we were because lots of our variations come with a bunch of genuine health concerns very little of them are life-threatening but we do deserve and need like appropriate health care that is not what we're receiving we're receiving um yeah sort of like interventions that are aesthetic that are and by that I mean they're they're very invasive but they're about um, passing as um, a um, heteronormative woman or a heteronormative man and I think it's really important for me to say that the majority of people with an intersex variation do identify as heterosexual um, and as male or female so it doesn't mean that you're not male or female. Um, and we have the same stats within our population of people that identify as trans and non-binary. Um, and so just to sort of place that in people's minds, an easy way to think about it is that we all have, s- like, sexual orientation. We all have a gender identity and, or expression, how you relate to sort of... Um, yourself in the world, or how others may relate to you, though I think that's less important, really. I think it's more about how we relate to ourselves in the world. Um, and then the third one is we all have sex characteristics, and we're not <clears throat> we're not taught this again. we're not taught about these like different ways of thinking about um, you know these are all relational things, right? how we relate to each other, how we relate to ourselves. they're jumbled up and they're jumbled up because the systems of categorization we use yeah. so when on your passport how you move through space how you're identified is not but not by the mole on your cheek or the um, <laughs> your parent or you know like there's lots of different ways we could classify people but we classify people with these concepts of like sex or sex mm-hmm. at birth um, or we or often these days it's gender by default so what gender are you but these, these two words sex and gender have been used irreplaceably, so they've been conflated. And yeah. so um, again, this is, n- this is a very Western way of talking about it, and it's not an indigenous way of talking about it. And in Tao and in parts of the Pacific, these would, you know, the way that this would be discussed um, would be really different. Yeah. But um, just to sort of give people a, a something to ground down into, where sex characteristics sits, um, it is separate from, you know, the way that you perceive yourself as male or female or non-binary or trans.
0: It's, you know, for a lot of people, i um, thinking about my parents' generation, there's just so little vocabulary to um, kind of even start to have conversations around this subject. And yet, once you dig a little there's so much insight and understanding through lived experiences. Yes, because this isn't new, right? No, this has previously been part of who we are and what we are, and it's exactly. the auntie, the friend, the cousin, and then their stories reveal that oh, right, so this is actually <laughs> it just wasn't talked about, as you said, yes. it's been deliberately deliberately made invisible. Yes, um, through the. Kind of dominant medical model, but actually it's at, about reclaiming visibility as well and saying this is just part of.
2: Mm. Yeah. And I think it's really important to think about privacy versus concealment when we talk about this because, yeah. like, it is uncomfortable. There's probably reasons why it's taboo, right? But um I think, you, yeah, we have to think about it in terms of, like, I have the right, the same right that you have to not be asked about your genitals or um, to have invasive questions about your body asked. Um, but I also have the right to tell people who I feel comfortable with mm. um, about the fact that I was born with a variation of sex characteristics. And um, that, that means for me, what the word that's comfortable for me is intersex. sex, it's not for everyone. Some people really don't like that word. And we could talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but um and so that's about my my choice and my consent my privacy um w- what's different is when we talk about concealment that's super different so that's like mm. that if you know I wasn't told and then I had to find out as an adult that not only is my body different from everyone else's but that all these things had happened um and you know that that's very discordant for people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And so uh, do you remember when, if if you're okay to even go here, because um, lightly from my end, but do you remember when you first became aware of the difference and the need for a, a term or a framing from your perspective?
2: Well, yeah, it was really interesting because I was always hanging out in rainbow spaces. Um, I'm, I'm a queer person as well, so um, and I'm an artist, so I think like I sort of, there's some privilege in the fact that I was already in like, right. you know, what some people call counterculture or like already at the edge of things. And um, my partner was trans and I was still very medically like, Um, I was like shamed about my body and it was this thing that I didn't talk about. And, um, when I did like have to talk about it with, you know, lovers or something, it would be like this really emotional sort of like vomit of words that were like medical words and I didn't really know how to talk about it and it would be like very awkward and, um, but it would also be very like hidden within the recesses of myself, you know, um, And uh, I was in a lot of emotional pain um, but didn't, yeah, like like we've already discussed, didn't have language to talk about it but also didn't feel like it was valid to talk about. And so I was supporting my partner who was trans through their own journey and didn't, you know, and and really was like this is really important and actually there's all this like, you know, social stigma around being trans and trying to support them um, to access gender affirming healthcare, and this is like probably like 20 15, 18 years ago or something um you know it was really difficult and quite upsetting a lot of the times um and he dragged me along to this talk by dr diamond in wellington oh, okay, the dr. Diamond. um and he dr diamond was going through all the stuff doing a big presentation um and then suddenly he had this whole section on all these different types of like ambiguous genitalia. And he was talking about all these different ways that bodies could come together. And I suddenly like whacked my partner (laughs) on the chest and was like, that's my thing. Oh, just this one slide came up and, you know, I was in my early mid twenties by then, you know? Um, and, um, I was so excited, and you know, I didn't. I'd gone to the library and tried to look it up in like a medical textbook or something before, but like, it's not. This was kind of like awkward pre-internet times, so it's not like I could just Google it. And it so I had that little moment, but I was still so locked in this kind of place that I was like, it was like gleeful, but it was still secretive. It was like, oh, yeah, I've got this thing. This this cool cool person who's done all this research about you know gender diversity and sex diversity talked about this thing I have um I can't remember if he used intersex at all I don't think so
0: mm.
2: he might have but um another term another framing sexologists often use is disorders of sex development so um it's not that it's not that snappy
0: well and also disorder <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Doing it. Yeah, sort of
2: like uh uh it's not helping. It took it took actually another partner years later who was just like a proactive, awesome person who was just like Babe, I'm looking this up like and let's get you some cool doctors and let's like I'm gonna support you to actually find out about what's going on in your body and like you know, I'd already been through heaps of medicalization, but I had never actually had things sat down and explained to me. So we requested all my medical records and I found a really great GP and we went on a bit of a journey and I was able to, like, be like, what does this mean, what does this mean? And um, that was really empowering. Um, and then I f- heard about Marnie Bruce Mitchell um, and I actually, I worked at Trade Aid at the time and um, Marnie would come in and buy chocolate and they're, you know, an infamous character. Um, so they're quite like well recognisable. <sighs> They'd come and buy chocolate or tea or something and I'd always be like absolutely like frozen. It would be my least um, smooth retail delivery. Um, and I ended up finding out that they were a counsellor as well as being intersex. So I had some sort of link there around language and I emailed them and was like hey I think I'm I think I'm one of you you know <laughs> <laughs> Um and even then it was still it was it wasn't till years later that I actually started getting involved in activism so um I and you know when when I meet people I was really lucky to just go on a retreat in Canberra because I'm a member of Intersex Peer Support Australia slash Aotearoa Um, and every year, well this is the first one since COVID actually, they have a retreat where they hire out a sort of a scout camp or some large sort of um, retreat and people from all, all over Predominantly Australia, but um, also Aotearoa go, um, and it gets funded. And so it's, it's really supportive for people to be there. And it's really common for people in their 50s, um, you know, and up um, to for it to be their first time that they've ever met anyone else with an intersex variation. Mm. Um, and it's extremely powerful and extremely full of grief time for people because there's just there's been so much secrecy in people's lives to the point where people haven't even told their own partners you know they they or they've avoid having relationships at all their entire life because they're so ashamed of their body being different they never possibly could go to a swimming pool or a um you know couldn't play sport couldn't do all these things because they had to hide their body at all costs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that sort of implies that what would be revealed would be this monstrous thing. It's not even that. It's just that we are we are told to hold so much shame mm-hmm. that that becomes the monstrous thing. That's the heavy thing, not the ways that our bodies are different. Mm-hmm. So what happens at these retreats is amazing and powerful and so cool. You know, we do everything from, like, dance workshops and sharing circles and also just, like, go on cool adventures or have rest time. Or um, we, This time we did karaoke. We did a talent show. Um, you know, and there was a good, like, nearly 30 people there of all ages, of all, like, ethnic diversities, just every beautiful kind of melting pot, people that, like, you know, you'd never meet normally in your day-to-day life, and suddenly we're bound by this, often really difficult experiences is what brings us together, this commonality of um, going through that that medical model and being alone with it and our parents not having the language to talk to us about it, our partners not having sort of not understanding or, or, or even knowing um, how to support us and that being locked away somewhere um, and so... Something really magic happens when we come together and that's essentially what I'm really passionate about now and what I'd love to bring more to Aotearoa New Zealand, to think that in you know, nearly 2024 we still haven't had a peer support program um up and running in Aotearoa for people that's accessible and people can confidentially reach out. Um, you know, has really been lacking and you know there's lots of reasons why that's been difficult under funding, but also just the majority of even funders being uneducated and people getting really confused about where it sits you know people being like we don't we don't fund rainbow organizations and for us to be like well um yeah, we're the I and the L G B T Q I A plus, but actually the majority of people with intersex variations don't identify with the rainbow. And so where does that leave them? You know? Um Yeah, so I think I think there's lots of reasons why it's been difficult, but that's not a reason for us not to try. And so um Hopefully, you'll see and hear more of this um, coming together um, that I think is really, really vital to our healing, but also empowering the broader um, circles around us our whānau, our partners, you know, our communities to be more literate in mm. how to talk about this stuff. And hopefully, through that, we can see a wave of change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think for any parents out there, um, who are facing into this right now or um, anybody who's been trapped in this space, there are now places you can get some support from and definitely within your country, because we have people tuning in from very different places. But most countries now offer support groups and resources and get literate. Yeah. Uh, Don't let anybody bully you into anything. Yeah, and sh- shame is uh, the, it belongs with people who should know better and get educated yes. in the medical system, n- not with anybody outside it. Um, you know, get Definitely. literate and um, activism is is literacy in this instance, at least. If nothing else, get literate.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's really important to just like make a quick note on that language piece that I was talking about earlier. Is if you don't relate to the word intersex, was intersex has been sort of muddied into this, like, um, we, you know, we, we actually hear from young, or well, we hear about young people who have a variation of sex characteristics that don't want to come to the organisation Intersex Aotearoa because they've been told or they've heard that intersex means that you can't be male or female. Um, and that is actually... That's totally not true and is a, um, is a real disservice and misinformation that can actually come from the medical institution. So if you're going through um, a diagnostic process, you'll never hear the word intersex. You'll hear that you have congenital injuries or hyperplasia or, you know, another sort of like complex term. I can't even like say my full variation you know I'm like there's there's four different names of old white men you know so um so I think language is really important and language has been a massive barrier so if you don't connect to intersex that is absolutely fine totally but don't let that be the thing that stops you from connecting to other people because you know there's people that we support that you know, use the language of DSD because that's the only tool that they've been given, or they only use the language of their particular variation. Or, you know, more and more people are starting to use VSC, the variations in sex characteristics, so it's a bit awkward and it's quite a chunky. mouthful. Quite a mouthful. But yeah. language is power. Language is a connector. Language is how we bring community together. So just remember that that, you know there's there's things that seem like block of barriers in the way don't mm-hmm. let that be the reason that you don't connect to someone else because honestly it is so powerful you really really genuinely you might have nothing in common with this person but there's a bond there's an amazing bond and just a sense of like lightening and um yeah just laying down a lot of those those heavy um weights of isolation shame and secrecy yeah. yeah, and you can still be totally private about it. You don't have to become an activist. Please don't. It's pretty exhausting, <laughs> to be honest. But you know, like, um, you know, yeah. you can still be really private. But we all need spaces to talk about stuff, no matter what it is. But especially something like this that people might be carrying for a very long time.
0: Yeah, a peer support isn't well understood. I don't think outside uh, maybe the spaces in which it's active and it's a thing you do. Yes. Yes, Um, a really nice example of that was my partner is a type one diabetic, and Mm -hmm. I introduced them to a childhood friend who was type one diabetic, and it was the first other diabetic that my childhood friend had spoken to ever. Wow! um, Basically, because he was diagnosed very young, thirty years of alone, yeah, never having a conversation with somebody else who has it from
2: a doctor, I imagine,
0: and they didn't have it.
2: Yeah, yes, of
0: course, yes. It was an extraordinary moment for Mm. him to feel a sense of connection and to be able to share the experience of, oh, so that and that, oh, yeah, and it was like this and that, and it was this kind of torrent of of just meeting another human with the same experience, and that's what's so powerful. It doesn't mean you have to be the same. They're very different people. Exactly. Um, it just means that you feel n- not so alone.
2: Yeah, and I mean, we're. There's a, th- a common thing, you know. Like I've met intersex activists from Zimbabwe, from, um, from Colombia, f- from you know the Middle East, um, and there's this narrative that we're often told at the moment of diagnosis of you have a really rare condition. Um, it's you know, um maybe one in two thousand people uh you'll probably never meet someone like you it doesn't matter what the variation is that someone has we're all given these stats and so i think the thing that the term intersex does for us is that you know we talk about 47 different variations so if you look at it like that each individually yes they may be quite rare but also when you put them together and give them an umbrella term, suddenly we get those stats of, like, oh, hey, wait, we're looking yeah. at, like, you know, 2.3% of the population, the same amount of people that have read here. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, that means that there's someone down the road that, that yeah. you know, like I've literally had someone be told that they'll never meet someone like them and then years later finding out not only their, like, old childhood friend was um, – intersex but also had the same variation as them which is pretty bonkers it's pretty amazing and they'd been living in these states of like aloneness and pain um I think they even ended up they were like treated by the same doctor so when they did finally get to talk about it you know those those like frustrations that they've experienced Mm. um the sort of all the highs and the lows just become tumbling out and it's like yeah, like you were saying, just to have that connectivity with someone who totally gets it and you don't have to over-explain things and really stress points and go back to, well, in 1982 when I was born, you know, you get to just <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, start at a intermediate advanced level and it all comes spilling out. And mm. sometimes we just need to be messy and let it all out, you know. We can't always be... um yeah sort of high functioning tucked away with the challenges in our lives some days you can and that's awesome um but for many of us who have gone through medicalization or and even those that have had supported supportive families and have able been able to um not go through surgical interventions there's still they still live in a world where they're told that they're not normal so that that sort of level of support is still really vital.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything that we, this has been such a great conversation. And I, I I guess the other thing I'd say before I ask the next question is for any parents listening, part of what you can do is not only get educated, but educate your kiddies growing up, that this is just part of humanness, fill the gap at the moment, you know, a lot of the work that we do at Sex and Space is about trying to to find ways to fill the gaps that education, sadly, isn't going to get to. Mm-hmm. So get in there, um, you know, and um, look for books that explain it in a way that's really helpful for children. Yes. Read those books with them, you know, just get stuck in. And, and um, again, that's a form of activism that can really make a difference. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. I really agree just um, lifting that veil of stigma. I think mm-hmm. the saddest thing to realise is that when when parents unknowingly agree to things that could be painful for us later in life and or don't talk about them with us, like don't talk about our differences at all, um, because it's awkward and, you know, lots of parents don't have the language and they want to respect their kid's privacy and that can be a hard balance or the kid doesn't want to talk about it. Like, oh, um, there's still a way that that tells us if we don't talk about it or that things have to be fixed, that we were actually broken in the first place. And so I think no matter what choices have been made, um, you know, to also acknowledge and accept um, that and move forward together with as much transparency and celebration and sort of like strength-based language as possible Um, and that parents deserve peer support so much and there's a network of amazing parents in Aotearoa and and I'm sure around the world as well that you could access through different intersex um, organisations and those parents are active at sharing information at like linking each other with great, you know, medical practitioners. Um, don't do it alone. Don't be so ashamed that you can't tell your family and friends what's going on for your kid, but do respect your kid's privacy. So, again, it's, it's theirs to choose whether they talk about it or not and they might not want to talk about it. They might genuinely not want to share that with other people and that's all good or they might be like in the playground being like guess what i was born with internal gonads you know like you know some kids are are just out there being like i'm not gonna have kids but mum said i might adopt or you know whatever it is yeah you know we see examples of it all the time where um kids are given agency and language and then they can decide you know um and they can also learn about the preciousness of their story and that, you know, how they give it out or how they choose to hold it. Um, and that's an important lesson for all of us, I think, of, of negotiating the private um, versus the sort of empowerment. Um, but, yeah, d- please don't do it alone and don't feel like the only information you can get is through the, the healthcare sector, Um and there's also, there's lots of amazing work that's happened in Aotearoa. There's one website called, I think it's www.vsc.org. And that's um, by Professor, Doctor, uh, Denise Stairs, um, oh yeah, Doctor, who did her PhD where she worked um, with directly with parents, young people and medical practitioners to look at the ways that people are talking or not talking about it in ways that that could improve so she's got a great booklet that is for not just parents but actually for parents and doctors to work through together Mm -hmm. to help guide those conversations and to talk about taking space and taking time around decision making and also empowering your child to feel fantastic and awesome as they are and in fact in my opinion even cooler than anyone else <laughs> it is essentially like a superpower so yeah we, there's a great word coined um by uh, amazing activist bonnie hart in australia and she always talks about intersexy so you know like oh, the no. up version of us is intersexy and that we're always working towards intersexy land and you know intersexy land is a utopia of celebration and love and um Support for, you know, that diversity that is just bang up. I love that word. (laughs) Normal nature stuff, you know. You look at plants, you look at animals, you look at human bodies. We're all doing it.
0: Absolutely, and and I think the you know the again that call out for parents, um, well, people anyway listening, but Mm -hmm. but also parents who aren't dealing with this. It's that. Educate yourselves, because when the kid gets to the playground and goes, hey, guess what, for other kids to go, oh, yeah. Yes,
2: Yes. exactly. Yes, I love that. Yeah, we want to be at the point where we're like, oh, yeah, cool, fist pump.
0: That's cool. cool.
2: Exactly, exactly. I think my cousin has that too. Awesome. Yeah,
0: although a slight sort of whiff of envy for being (laughs) into Yes
2: be like can I come to your birthday party yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly I mean that like yeah I always say just have conversations even if it's awkward work it out like kids are yeah. so cool about this stuff they become less cool as they become aware of what people around them are saying and that that sort of like indoctrination about sexual diversity you know gender expression and sex characteristics as yeah. as they stumble into this world of like misogyny and all these norms that tell us we've got to be a certain way you see a tightening of those you know muscles that at a young age are really open and are just like cool about a bunch of stuff so Good. so they might put fear into some people's knee joints that's into sexy land and it, that's where it should be
0: absolutely I think that's a really good note to finish on. <laughs> but as always, I'll ask, is there anything we haven't talked about that you think is really important to touch base about or cover off because you might have something in your head that we didn't cover? Um,
2: I think just to talk about um, the Aotearoa context and just that, you know, really stress that my um my, my experiences as like a Pakia person and that, that really informs the work that I do um, and that there's um, so much work that Pakia or, you know, white activists in the space need to do to let in other voices and for there to be space and time for Indigenous ways of being um, in the world And sometimes that can actually be, that can counter some of the narratives that are um, being used by intersex activists globally um, around sort of like, you know, the United Nations level of like legal speak and and bringing change and bringing legislation and bringing um, kind of, you know, that real meeting doctors with their language, being able to be understood at a, and respected at a, at a clinical level, some of that can really jar with Indigenous ways of being. And so um, I think just naming that there's um, there can't be one right way for this to be for people and, you know, that's on a sort of micro level individual to individual that everyone gets to Um, narrate their own experience and use whatever language they want and speak to that in whatever way that they want. And there's some ways that that can be helpful in terms of like educating a broader community. And there's some ways that that can just be like specific to that person, but doesn't mean that that's what intersex means, if you know what I'm saying. I think we we need space for there to be commonalities so that it benefits the broader understanding around education Um, And then we also need to make space for, um, yeah, Indigenous ways of of knowing and being that are being reclaimed after that sort of colonial um, dampening or um, kind of enforced um, destruction and and knowledge. So, yeah, I'm really um, always passionate and intrigued and, Um, awkward about that and and all the ways that I should be, you know, in terms of how to make space, how to do that um, in a way that's supportive and not continuing to to sort of um, perpetuate some of those colonial ways of being. So, yeah, I think um, just a call out to sort of others in this movement that might have voices of authority, um and a sense of sort of the right ways of being and that um we need to practice what we preach a little bit and you know um we talk about embracing diversity and i think we need to do that as a movement as well
0: yeah i think that's a very wise and um humble comment thank you for that cool well a great pleasure and a privilege and um, what a fantastic conversation. I, I feel like I had other questions, like a big and We've sort of kind of gone in this space and I love it. It's been amazing. So thank you so much. Um, My
1: absolute pleasure. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. To learn more, you can check out intersexaltera.org. Before we sign off, we want to remind you that both of our books... How to Talk with Your Kids About Porn and The Organ Education Forgot are now available as both a downloadable PDF and a physical copy, so you can read them in whichever format you prefer. Head over to sexandspace.com to grab yourself a copy. Please make sure to leave a like, follow, comment, share or review wherever you're tuning in from. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Until next time, safe travels and see you on the next episode.